I mean, they're not silly. They know it's October and being top of the league now doesn't really, you know, mean anything tangible apart from the fact that, you know, we've we've started the season well. You know, we've played some good football and we've had all sorts of different challenges thrown at us. You know, we've been behind in games away from home. We've had to score last-minute winners. It hasn't been like it's been smooth sailing. You know, we've had to work awfully hard <clears throat> to be in the position we are. And, you know, I guess from my perspective, it's great they're getting rewarded with <clears throat> results, you know, and, and that can only help us and grow as a team. But, you know, it's not like they're sitting in there thinking we've achieved anything, we haven't achieved anything. All we've, we've done is lay some really good foundation. But, you know, our, our goals and ambitions lay in improvement, you know. Can we play better? Can we become a better team? If we do that, then, you know, we'll see where that takes us. The reason that I'm here is because you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I'm your host, Andrew. This is episode 146, and it is going to be a very happy podcast because we've got two victories to discuss, both on the men's and women's side. Uh, alongside me to do it tonight is Caroline. She is at City Stefco. Caroline, how are you feeling after that weekend of, of two Tottenham victories? In uh, the words of Daniel Levy, we've got our Tottenham back. Uh, I feel it's like that on you know for both teams, so... Really nothing to complain about this weekend. Well, yeah, nothing to complain about on the Tottenham side of things. I, I would be remiss if I didn't call out our our fellow um, Texas Rangers fans um, who have thoroughly whipped my, my Orioles in the Major League Baseball playoffs and have been letting me hear it. Uh, I want to shout those guys out, but um, other than that, yeah, on the top, I'm, I'm doing, I'm like that meme doing this podcast this evening where, you know, I'm, I'm crying, but dancing through it because I'm very happy about Tottenham, but my other sports teams, it, it was not a happy sports weekend overall for me, but that's neither here nor there. I'm putting on the happy face. I swear I'm doing it. We're talking Tottenham and I'm excited about where Tottenham is uh, right now. Um, and let's, you know, let's have a time talking about a team entering the international break eight games in top of the table and on the women's side getting a, the first three points of of the season with a home win a solid victory um lot to discuss on on both of those ends uh, before we get into the podcast i do just want to um say a few words tottenham the tottenham community lost a really special person this week in pete hayne uh the former supporters trust uh board member uh, we, we've talked a lot about pete hayne on this podcast in the past um a guy who's very special to many people in the tottenham community so uh, we just wanted to author uh offer our thoughts and prayers to pete's uh family and friends um just an awful loss i know we know pete had been battling um cancer pancreatic cancer for for many months um and we lost him this past tuesday so just a um a well wishes to everyone and and uh, keeping everyone in our thoughts that that knew Pete. Um, I never got to meet Pete, but um, every everyone I've talked to that did know him uh, never had a, a bad word to say. And um, it's uh, it, it's a tough thing that that all Spurs fans have been going through uh, this week in in losing um, such an important member of the community. Uh, there is no easy way to transition, but Caroline, let's talk about uh, Tottenham Hotspur one Luton Town nil because this game 
was one. If we go back about three weeks, I think I, I said I was almost more nervous about this match than I was about the Liverpool home, home match, which I know sounds crazy in retrospect, especially when you look at the way that the team played. But this was I, I kind of always knew would be a difficult match uh, just for the reasons of, you know, Tottenham going on the road, playing a team that we know is going to pack it in. You know, you're going to need some creativity. You know, you're going to need some some spark uh, offensively in order to get a job done. These are never easy matches going away, but they they got exactly the amount of spark they needed despite all of the circumstances surrounding. Um, and this was one of those wins that I feel like I'm, I'm trying not to be too hyperbolic, but it feels like one of those wins that we would not have almost expected to get in seasons past. And they got it this time in kind of very professional uh workmanlike fashion if you ask me um again despite a lot of the things going wrong against them wh where were you after seeing this this victory be completed yeah i might have to go back and and take back what i said when i said that i had no complaints from this weekend because i would have liked the scoreline to be higher in this game uh, just based on like just the sheer number of chances we got in like the first 10 minutes alone um, the efficiency was not great. So I guess let's get that out of the way. That was like the one, you know, downside other than the, the red card. But you're right. I feel like in seasons past, this would have been a game where it had the potential to really just be like a total morale crusher. Um, and I'm glad that we, we seem to be kind of not succumbing to those, those same trends this season. Like, I don't know if you want to call it luck like good vibes, what have you, but something just feels different this season. Um, and I mean, honestly, I think it's just kind of a, a, a combination of all those things and like the Ange effect. Um, it just feels like things are really going our way at the moment. And obviously there's a lot of hard work going into that as well, but it's, we don't seem to have like the, the bad luck <laughs> this season at least, which is good. Yeah. I think everything that you're, you're talking about in terms of the, the vibes it's what we've been talking about for like the last two months um and, and coming into this season i think there was a lot of uh apprehension to, to some extent just because everything's so new and and the expectations aren't as high as they have been but the fact that this team now has 20 points from eight league matches which is by the way the most since the 1960-61 season a season in which spurs did a double um you look at those kinds of things and you think oh wow okay our our expectations starting to change a little bit. And I, I know I'm like, I, we, we've talked a lot of, a lot about this internally. Like I'm starting to get to that point where, yeah, my expectations are starting to creep up after uh, a really solid victory like this. Um, and, you know, seeing also seeing, I think the, the grander kind of premier league uh, landscape right now, which is something that I, I want to come on to talk about a little bit later as well. But I, I almost I'm still protecting my heart a little bit against, you know, whether it be bad injury luck or just the bottom falling out in some sort of way. I'm I'm still I'm still a a little bit resistant to just completely buy in and say, you know, be that, oh, yeah, Spurs are going to they're a lock for top four and they're, we're competing for the league at this point. I mean, yeah, they're top of the league, a fifth of the way through the season We're 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 in that spot. But it's there's still a long, long way to go at this point. Eight matches does not make a season but we like what we've seen so far. So it's nice to feel something. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think for me, the thing that worries me the most about, you know, what could kind of derail all of this is the injury concerns. But I do think that Ange has done a really good job of managing that so far. Um, Because, you know, I, I complained earlier about wanting more goals in this game. And when you have Sun and Madison exiting the pitch at the same time pretty early in the game, you know, doesn't feel great from a fan perspective of like you want them on the pitch to be able to score those goals that we know they can. Um, but I, I feel like Ange is taking the, the long view and that's what we need is just sensible management. You know, it, it's not ideal that we have players going off to international break now and I'm going to spend the whole, you know, less than two weeks, I guess, fretting about... <laughs> you know, the, the ankles and whatnot of, of our players. But I, I do think that, and he, he's aware of, you know, the fact that it's going to be, it's going to feel like a long time until we get to January and we can bring in reinforcements. So, so far, at least I feel like he's managed it well. Well, let's, let's go right to that because coming into this match, when you looked at the 11, we thought, Oh, there might be some changes, you know, Spurs might be able to, have a little bit of rotation to, you know, where maybe they don't have to start Madison. They don't have to start sun. Um, uh, of course it's an unchanged 11. So everyone's, everyone's back in the only real change of course, was we learned the news about men or Solomon in the middle of the week. He suffered an injury. He's going to be out for a while. Um, but Brian heel returns to the bench. He'd been training. So a couple different swaps on the bench, but this was the same, same 11 that, that, that had been run out the previous week. And I, I personally was fine with that. I just, you know, with the way that the game played out, you wanted, as you mentioned earlier, you wanted more execution, especially early on, because the start of this game, the first, let's call it 20 minutes, were just all Spurs. I mean, it was, it, it felt like, um, you know, I mean, Spurs looked really, really good. They were getting chances left and right, firing on goal. Nothing was being executed, though. There was just no finishing touch. And it was frustrating but also i was just like okay the goal will come you know if you've got if you're 20 minutes you got 70 more minutes of this kind of relentless attack against a team that's going to sit in i was confident that that a goal would come and as frustrating as it was that it hadn't over those first 20 minutes or so i was i was in no bad place where, where were you for those first 20 minutes just knowing all the momentum was going in Spurs' favor. Madison was creating things. Richarlison was getting chances left and right. Uh, Poro was bombing in. I mean, there was just all kinds of, of, of attack coming in, but still no goal. Yeah, I think there obviously was a clear intent for us to get an early goal and sort of go from there. Um, like you said, we, we were getting the chances. I thought Decky was playing really well, you know, much improved over the last week. Um, and Richarlison, you know, had a couple of sitters that he will want back. Um, and that chance from Poro too was, was so close, but I feel like this season, I'm not ever worried that we're not going to get a goal. And I think this, if I'm not mistaken, this was the first game in the league where we did not score at least two goals. So, I mean, like it's really, it's not an issue this season. Um, the goals coming. I think, you know, in the long-term view, the bigger issue is like fixing some of the defensive wrinkles, which there really haven't been that many, to be honest. But um, yeah, I I felt like even though Luton were clearly a team that weren't going to like make it easy for us necessarily, um, 
we, we were going to get the opportunities and uh, I mean, I know we'll come on to, to Mickey's goal, but it was, it's always great to see goals coming from other players than we're used to. Cause you know, we talked about like Sun and Madison going off. Um, we do have other players who can score. So it wasn't a huge concern to me. Yeah, it's interesting. The first couple of goals of this season did not come from that front three. And that was like kind of a talking point in the in the early going. It was uh if I remember correctly, Romero scored an early goal and some of the 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 fullbacks had been scoring um uh, between Poro and I think Udogi had goals before any of the attacking three had goals. Um, but in this match, especially in that first 20 minutes, it was it was the attacking three. It was everybody. Everybody was in on it. I mean, everybody was was relentlessly attacking. Luton did have their their moments kind of after that first 20 where they were able to get a little bit more of a foot into the game, but even still it was it was brief and I mean Spurs were still on the attack. Before we come on to the goal, we've got to obviously talk about Ibasuma because this was I don't know I don't know where what how we want to handle what happened to Ibasuma. I don't know if he blacked out and just lost control of his soccer brain or what, but this was just really some boneheaded stuff from him. The, the, the two yellows. And after he picked up the first yellow, everyone's realizing, Oh boy. Okay. That's his fifth yellow of the season. He's going to miss the next match. Do we have the replacements in the midfield for, you know, having missing him, be, you know, missing him again in a game against Fulham coming up here in a couple of weeks. But e- even then you just still saw like the, the diving yellow was, just some of the lowest football IQ I, I've seen on a pitch in in some time. Walk me through where you were when that happened, and realizing right before halftime we're about to go down to ten men. And despite the fact that we've mostly dominated this match, now it just became a lot harder without a goal yet. Right. I mean, when it happened, I know I tweeted that I was just going to hold my tongue because obviously my feelings on Basuma in general are well known. But I felt like it was just a big contrast to, for example, Destiny Udogi having that early yellow card. I think it was in the Arsenal game and showing just tremendous focus uh, to get through the rest of the match without a second yellow. Um, So, yeah, I think it was just the lack of mentality was like frustrating to me because I feel like the rest of the team has done a really great job of just being fully committed. you know, for the 90 plus and lately it has been plus plus. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't ideal that we went down a man. Um, but I guess if you're going to have that situation, it's good for it to have happened early in the season. So this is something we can learn from. Um, and also to have it happen against a team like Luton, who we were, you know, likely going to win against anyway. So yeah, I, th- I think he's still going to be on yellow card watch when he comes back because yeah. you know, this now take it, it. He goes back to being on four yellows. It, it just counts as a red. Um, so we've got, we, you know, we have midfielders who are going to have to step up. It's either going to be, you know, Pierre or, or Skippy at the moment. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it might be a good thing for him to sit, sit one out and think about what he's done. <laughs> Well, and, and to your point, uh, Pierre was was the one to come on after halftime. He comes on for Charleston. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but in this moment, I'm thinking, OK, I'm still pretty confident in Spurs ability to go get three points from this match only because 
now that we're a man down, I feel like that might stretch Luton to come out a little bit more and have a little bit more of the ball and expose themselves at the back. And while that didn't, that's not fully how it played out. Spurs still had plenty of the ball in the second half. They had less of it than they did in the first half, but they still had plenty of the ball and plenty of the attacking prowess. Um, and and obviously that ability to get the goal that, that we'll come on to here. I mean, for the match, Spurs had 67% possession still, and they were a man down for, for an entire half. So that really shows the dominance that this team had. They produced 1.96 XG compared to Luton's 0.76. I mean, th- they were dominant. Imagine what they would have done with 11 players for both halves, much less just the one. Right, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to point out just on the Basuma's cards is that after the first one, which the commentary kind of framed it as like, you know, a professional foul that he had to make. I slightly disagree with that. And agree, that, agree. that ended up leading to the set piece where they scored and it was overruled because of the foul on Romero, which I think also was low-key debatable. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that was another example of not great decision-making there from him. Um because you know that a team like Luton, they're not getting a lot of chances from open play. Set pieces are their bread and butter. So, yeah, that was not ideal. Look, I don't want Todd to bust through the walls because we're talking too much about officiating. Like, I actually thought this game was officiated fairly decently. I hear what you're saying about the Romero foul, too. But, like, to honestly, to spot the Basuma dive, it was obvious. But, like, to call that and call it as a second yellow, as should be called, I think that that deserves a little bit of credit now we can talk about other games across the league this 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 week especially the arsenal city game where i felt like there definitely should have been a red card maybe two delivered in that match Uh, there's a lot of officiating controversy still but i thought for the most part this match spurs luton was was well officiated um uh, but but yeah to your point like it's it's one of those things that we knew Spurs were going to be tested i just didn't know how and the fact that they were being tested in this way like you got to play a man down for an entire half and still try and get the three points and they were able to, I thought that showed some kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is grit, I guess some kind of mentality for this team to be able to, to come away with the victory. Um, the goal itself, let's, let's come on to that because it's, I don't know. It's, I think the only two words I can come up with were fucking brilliant. Like James Madison makes this goal happen and Mickey, we're going to give Mickey Van Deven all of his flowers. Cause I thought, he once again had a very good game as did Romero. Like they were very solid at the back against a team that granted isn't going to have as much attacking prowess going forward, but you still got to get the job done. But James Madison made this damn goal. Like the, the, the skill he has to dribble along the end line and get that pass back. And he just, he makes the whole thing happen. He, he took the game by the scruff of the neck and made a goal almost out of nothing. And it was, it was just brilliant, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, I've lost count of how many times I've watched the replay now just to watch that sequence um, of Madison's dribbling. It's incredible. And, you know, kind of ironic that we did score off a set piece ourselves. Um, <laughs> so Luton were felled by their own sword. But I also think it's interesting that, you know, in the moment when I'm watching this replay, I'm like, oh, it's funny that, Vandeven is like pulling a lamella, doing everything he can to get it on his favorite foot for the shot. But if you go back and watch, like he he had no angle at the near post. So he kind of had no choice but to do that. So the fact that he was able to 
do it so seemingly effortlessly because like he's a big guy you know it's not <laughs> a simple thing for him to move that that quickly in such a tight space um but yeah I was thrilled for him that he got his first goal with the club um and just those the celebrations with the away fans I thought was really special it really was and I Honestly, once this goal came, there were still moments where Luton had a threat and Luton had, you know, they they had more of the ball after that. They were coming out. They knew they needed to get that, get the equalizer if they could. But I never really felt, even as a 10-man Spurs had to try and defend a 1-0 lead on the road, I was like, I'm pretty comfortable right now. And I, I know what people are going to say. It's Luton. They're a newly promoted side. They probably are playing above their head, but this is still, you know, these are still Premier League games and these are still like important ones to get under your belt. And I, I kind of always knew a trip to Luton would be tough. And like I alluded to earlier, I just didn't know what the circumstances would be. Um, again, this just showed me, it showed me a lot from this club. It showed me that they can win in kind of a different way because a lot of what we saw in that second half after the goal and there was, you know, the goal came in the, what was it? The 50 second minute so there was still a lot of time to to defend that lead and i just thought spurs did it very well they they were again they were workmanlike they were it was like a, a very much a um put on your hard hat and like go to work and do the defensive work and honestly do some of the the dark arts time wasting stuff that has to be done as well they they had to they had to manage the game and they managed it really well and managed it properly after the goal finally came yeah i agree and, you know, I, I do get the argument that it's like, this is just Luton. But like we said, this is the kind of game that we do stumble in in the past, um, you know, under the previous managers. And the fact that we knew we could go top of the league with a win, that's an added, you know, layer of pressure that they just handled. And I think the substitutes deserve a lot of credit, you know, for coming in and really I won't say like making an impact because we did not score again. Um, but just seeing out the game, like you said, like being very savvy about it. I think having, for example, Ben Davis coming on to bring a little bit more experience onto the pitch was really pivotal as well. Um, but then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Alejo Valiz coming on for another appearance and, you know, super young player that and just trusting to get some minutes already um, when I, I think the expectation was that we wouldn't really be seeing him until January. Uh, so that's great. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic and it's um, you know, I, I don't really, I, other than the Basuma conversation, which we had, there aren't a lot of players that I want to pick out and say uh, they didn't do their job, um, which I think is important. Like, like you mentioned, even the subs, even Hoybier. I mean, we've all kind of, Javier has been an interesting one this this season because he's come on as a sub and he's not done anything that has been spectacular. But again, it's kind of like the lunch pail theory. Like he's just coming onto the pitch and doing his job. And I know he's probably not happy in, in his role right now. He'd much rather be starting. But and obviously there were rumors about him leaving this summer, but he's still here and he's still going to work and he comes on. And I thought stabilized a midfield that needed stabilizing in that match going, you know, in losing Basuma to the red card. Um, and yeah, Ben Davis coming on, like the Madison sun thing makes this interesting. And especially as you mentioned earlier, going forward into an international break where we know these guys are all going to be putting more minutes on their legs and, 
international football is just a, it's, it's always seemed like a minefield for injuries to some extent, um, which is unfortunate, but it's just the way that, that world football works these days. So there is that kind of nervousness still about managing these players and managing these players who are, you know, not spring chickens. Like there's a lot of minutes on, on the legs of both Madison and son at this point. Um, but these guys are obviously so crucial and so important to the project and to what Spurs are able to do at this point that I am, you know, looking at that with a little bit of trepidation, but at the same time, I'm, I'm pleased with the guy. I'm pleased with the way they're being managed by Ange, and I'm pleased with the subs that are able to come in and do a job. I just, I don't know how much longer you can continue. It's eight games so far. How can you do that for another, uh, four fifths of the season at this point? Right. And we could be in like a sticky situation post international break because we have the Monday game followed by the Friday game. So that's a quicker turnaround than we've really had besides the the one week where we had the cup game. Um, so depending on what our, our injury situation is after that break, um, <laughs> we could see some interesting selection and substitution decisions, but I think as we worry about players getting injured, we do have some players who are going to be coming back. Like Brian already being in the match day squad was a positive. Um, I'll be honest. I have no idea when Sessegnon is supposed to be projected to return, but like he's out there somewhere. Who, who, who could, who could say, um, yes. <laughs> who could ever say. Um, and then Johnson, you know, he, I feel like we kind of, it, at least I did kind of forget about him momentarily because you know, as soon as he, he came in, he, he played like a game or two and then got injured. Yeah. Um, but he's going to be huge, you know, him coming back. Cause I think what little glimpse we saw of him was really positive. Um, so yeah. And then Benton Kerr obviously is the huge yeah. one. That and Benton Kerr has been training and, and we'll see what, what comes of that. There, it, it is weird. Like there, this team has suffered a good amount of injuries, but also has some guys hopefully working their way back. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting mix. You, to your point about the schedule, the schedule is very weird. For those who have not looked, Spurs' next match is actually two weeks from probably when you're hearing this on the Monday, uh, October 23rd. They play a home against Fulham, so that's the last week or the last game rather of that match week. Then they play the first game of the following match week on Friday uh, away to Crystal Palace, which is very bizarre to have the last match and the first match of consecutive game weeks but then their match after that is return uh home to play chelsea and that's the last match of the following game week another monday so their their next three matches are monday friday monday uh no weekend games until saturday november the 11th uh, a trip to wolves so i'm saying that uh, on october 8th as we record this it's very just a very strange uh, mix of the schedule for Spurs coming up. So if you were unaware of that, that is something to take note of. Um, it's also going to make for some very awkward podcasts that we're going to have to like do a Monday, a couple Monday podcasts instead of Sunday podcasts like we normally do. Um, but that's that's a problem for for us here at the depot and not you, the listener. We'll still get a pot out. Don't worry. Um, I, I, I want to have a little bit of a, a, a brief and broader conversation about the Premier League as a whole, because I know we all watched Arsenal Manchester City this morning, which was a big match in the league and um, kind of, I guess I don't want to say that's who Spurs should be or are measuring themselves against right now, but it goes back to that kind of expectations and getting your hopes up for something broader conversation. But I do think that, you know, when you look at the table, the table doesn't lie. Eight games in Spurs are top of the league. They're level on points, level, level on goal difference with Arsenal. 
having drawn them, they've scored more goals, so they technically they are, are, are top. Um, again, early days. I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. I'm not trying to say eight games make a season as much as I would love it to right now. Um, but where are you at just with the expectation setting? I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm trying to get to that place, but I'm also a little trepidatious. But at this point, I mean, this is not a team that I really expected to be in the top three, four conversation. And all of a sudden I'm almost getting to that point where if they didn't, if they weren't in competition for a champions league place by the end of the season, something will have gone wrong. And that something could simply be, they pick up two injuries that are really bad and in, in the worst spots on the pitch. And that, that happens. But uh, if, if, if things keep going the way they have for the first, you know, eight games, I'm pretty confident that this could be a champions league place team right now uh yeah i think at this point it'd be a disaster if we didn't get top four this season with the start that we've had frankly um but i i feel like there there's potential that we could still be challenging for the league i don't want to say it's a definite going to happen but i mean we've scored in every game our star players are, are getting the job done. You know, the only player who really has, I think you could fairly say disappointed is Richarlison relative to like expectations for him. Um, but everybody else really has just been stepping up. Um, especially, you know, that leadership trio that we, we keep talking about. Um, but I just, I, I feel like we, everything's kind of set up for us to succeed this season in the sense that, you know, we aren't in European competition, which is like obviously disappointing because you want to see those games. You want us to be in, in every possible competition, but it's, we're, we're going to have such an easier path through the rest of the season than some of those teams that we're competing with at the top of the table. Um, and I think you've kind of seen some evidence of that already, like in some of the recent results and <sighs> It's, it's funny because g- coming into the season, I felt like I didn't want to let myself dream too much just because it had been such a rough few seasons. And every time I, you know, I felt optimistic and like we had a good squad, something would happen to, to show me like, you know, maybe not. But at the same time, last year, I genuinely felt like we were underperforming with the squad that we had. And it was, you know, largely down to Conte's tactics, if you ask me. Um, so from that perspective, I'm not surprised that these players are playing really well, you know, obviously with some key additions that we brought in, but I really thought the Harry Kane leaving factor was going to be a bigger deal. And it just hasn't been, you know, Sun has really taken up the striker role in the last few weeks. Um, and I don't feel like we're missing him from a leadership perspective, so it's it's kind of worked out really well and you know everyone feels good about Ange and and his tactics his leadership so it's it's hard not to be wildly optimistic at this point <laughs> uh, yeah I, I totally agree with you I don't want to throw like gallons of cold water on any of this because it has been a great start but it also is important to point out that we're looking at the the table obviously and Spurs being atop of it and that's great six wins out of eight games two draws four of those six wins 
come against the bottom four teams in that ta- in that same very same table that we're looking at right now. Like they come against Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United, the bottom four teams. So, I, look, maybe those teams will will pick it up later in the season, but it, I think we're all kind of expecting Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield to be battling, you know, re- for three of the four, three of the re- re- those four teams battling for relegation um, for those three spots. So. I, Yes, it's it's good, and you've got to you've got to beat who's in front of you, and you've got to play the schedule out. They also, of course, have a, a win, uh, however controversial or whatever you want to call it, against Liverpool, who sit fourth, which is a very good win. Um, and they obviously beat Manchester United, who are having their own issues and sit tenth right now. So, um, and then the draws against Brentford and, and Arsenal are are I think manageable and good. Uh, th- those are positive results. I, wins are wins. Like th- when you get three points in the Premier League, you get three points in the Premier League. It doesn't matter. You have to play. Everyone, everything will balance out. But it is just one of those things I want to like note that, like, yes, four of those six wins come from the bottom teams right now. Yeah, I do think you know this is a cliche for a reason that the best teams get results against the teams they're supposed to. I think the difference maker is when you're getting results against those teams that you normally would not. And so far, we have seen that with Manchester United, with Arsenal, with Liverpool. Um, and you know, you can caveat it because Manchester United has had a really weird season. So I don't know how much beating them at home, you know, means at this point, but it, I, I do think it shows that at least the mentality is changing and, you know, ultimately these are the teams that we're directly competing with for these top four spots, possibly a title. So anytime we're getting points against them, you just have to take it, you know? And keep moving. A hundred percent. Coming out of the international break, the four matches are Fulham at home, Palace away, Chelsea at home, Wolves away. Those four are all against, I think, what we could safely describe as mid-table-ish teams, uh, at least on current form. That's kind of where they sit on this on this table. Um, Chelsea is obviously a, a, a bigger match than that, but they are also very much mid-table fodder right now. Uh, they're not playing well, and granted that that match is still about a month away. But uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about those four teams. But the four matches after that uh, are are really big ones. It's Villa at home, at City, West Ham at home, and then Newcastle at home. Now those are four games after after the four previous four I mentioned. All teams that are going to be we think competing for European spots. Um, obviously, City for for a little bit more than that we would believe, but um, but also. So, you know, I mentioned the City Arsenal. I mean, they lose to Arsenal for the first time in many years. It was the first points uh, for Arsenal against City in something like seven years, I think, which congratulations, uh, Arsenal. Um, Some North London clubs know how to get points off of the best team in the world, unlike you guys have for the last few years. But uh, congrats on getting on the the train there. Um, But like those four matches after these next four, so when you look at those eight, like, there's a very distinct, um, you know, gap between those kinds of fixtures. So it'll be interesting to see when they come back from the international break, not only, as you say, what kind of health this team is in, but what kind of damage they can do um, as we head into a festive period, which is not going to be as jam packed as, you know, a Spurs season normally would be with European games and cup games and all that, all that mumbo jumbo. So it's, um, it's exciting times and, you know, uh, 
Henry Winkler's, you know, loving Big Ange. It's just like all kinds of vibes. Like you say, the vibes. We've I think we've overused the word vibes this season, but also we've kind of underused the word vibes this season because it's just this is where we are, and it's kind of fun, fun to watch right now. So um, in terms of the women's team, unless there was anything else you needed to get off your chest about the, about the men's game, was there anything else that, that I, I didn't mean to? Oh, no, I think just lean into the vibes. Yeah, lean in. I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm there with you. I, I'm not I'm not getting ahead of myself still, but I'm, I'm pumped about it. Um, I'm also not getting ahead of myself when it comes to the women's team, but they did pick up a very professional, again, 3-1 victory over Bristol City uh, at home home to uh to start their home campaign of course they they suffered defeat at the hands of chelsea last week to start the wsl season but um come back home beat bristol city this was one again professional is kind of how i would describe what this game was this morning uh for us here in the states it was a, a relentless attack early on and you thought oh gosh are they gonna be able to score and then all of a sudden the goals started to come and it was three three nothing uh three three nil at half and then they give up a you know, a, a penalty in the second half that was, you know, kind of just one of those unlucky bounces, a handball in the box and penalty converted. But th- there was never really a threat of anything from from Bristol City. This was um, this was a really comprehensive win for Spurs women and uh, all led kind of by a midfield duo of of Finnish players that that just dominated and and and, you know, I don't know. This 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 was almost as professional as the men's win. It was just like get the job done, go home, get the three points, right? Right. And again, only realistic complaint is that there weren't more goals because you know I was slightly disappointed we didn't score any in the second half um, after such a strong first half. But again, what matters most is that we got these three points that we're expecting to get, so that we have something to build up on for, for the rest of the season. Because, you know, obviously losing to Chelsea in the first week, kind of expected. We were happy with the performance, but we still knew that we needed to come in and get all three points today. So that was really positive. And I mean, Olga and Evelina as that midfield pivot was just magic today. Um, They really work well together. And um, I thought it was interesting that in the post-game comments, uh, Robert Villaham had said that he knew Olga Atenin could score a goal like that because, you know, obviously he saw her play every week in Sweden. Um, so that was a really incredible goal. Um, Martha, two goals in two games. This one was kind of funny because she basically scored it with her butt. Yes. Um, <laughs> basically was just pressing the keeper and the keeper yeah. tried to clear right into her. So but, and did but the, that's and did why you goal. it's like soccer 101, you know, yeah, put you the pressure them. on. And I, I didn't realize this at the time, but that was actually Bristol City's backup keeper. Their first keeper was actually injured. Um, so that maybe factors in just a little bit, but sure. It, um, it, that, that, that might have been proven out in the result. Yes. Um, and, and also their their manager after the game had said, you know, one of the things she zeroed in on about their promotion season is the level of keepers in the league being so much higher and difficult for them. But I think it on the flip side, you know, kind of going against them. Um, But I was really happy for Evelina to also get her goal, that incredible free kick um, after assisting Olga's goal earlier in the game. So player of the match for me um, and really just happy to see her 
living up to the potential that I think we saw in her when she first joined the team. But, you know, she had kind of a, a bit of a struggle in the, the Rianne era, I suppose. So good to see her getting back into the swing of things. Yeah, Atanen's free kick was was incredible. Um, you know, the, the the second goal, though, which for me was like the one, like, jump out of my seat. Like, oh, wow, that, that's a hit from outside the box. Um, I also wanted to talk about Bizet, though, because through the first two matches, I feel like that, that might be, for me, the player that has stood out to me across, you know, 180 minutes. And she hasn't played every every minute of, of, of both the matches, but she almost, to me, seems like the most improved from last year. And she's really proven that she can be a threat um, down that wing. And to me, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just because I've I, you hear her name a lot because she's so active on the ball while watching a game. But in terms of the creativity that the club was showing and the the initiative against Bristol City in this match, I just felt like uh, she's been she's been all over it. And she was last week against Chelsea as well for me. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring her up because I, you know, in thinking about her performance, I, you're right. She is one of our standout players. I think for me, I still just want a little bit more end product from her. Um, but obviously that's going to come as, as she's a young player who's still developing. Um, but it, it's really clear, you know, what she brings to the team. And I think it's great that with Grace Clinton coming in on loan, we kind of finally have a counterpart to her on the left side uh, which I think Jess Naz can be that too and like obviously she may she always makes a good impact off the bench um, but for whatever reason you know she has not been been favored to start yet um, we'll see if that ever changes across the season but I, I just feel like we really needed a little bit more balance because last season you would often find you know Celine just working her ass off on the right flank and and there was just nothing coming from the left um, unless Ash Neville was playing in the attack, which we obviously know this season, we're not going to get to see as much because she's really needed in defense just because of like a pure numbers, you know, not having the depth in the, in that position. So yes, I don't know. I guess my answer is I I'm, I'm always hyped about Celine. I just want more. <laughs> yeah. I it's the, the finishing product you're right about. And I'm glad you brought up Naz too, because I, uh, I thought a really, again, I'm going to use the word professional, um, appearance off the bench and in terms of when you know you've got the lead just got to see out the game but still provided you know enough going forward as well to keep the thread up and not just you know sit back and sit on a lead in in the way that they could have um it's a it's a two-game week for spurs women this week because they've got the conti cup the league cup uh coming up um this week which i think is you know so maybe some of that rotation would you expect some of some rotation um because of the, the two match week that, that like you're kind of alluding to there yeah i actually saw i think it was chris cowlin interviewed robert after the game and asked him about the upcoming midweek game and you know was there going to be a lot of rotation and um you know he was kind of alluding to the fact that he has had the unchanged lineup for both weeks so far, but he, there are players that he wants to get a look at. So it sounds like he is going to use this opportunity. Um, actually in, in this match, we saw Zhang Linyan was on the bench for the first time. She had just joined up with the club um, after coming back from the Asian game. So I don't know if she even had a training session with the team yet, but she was there on the bench. So I would be really interested to see if, um, I don't know. It might still be too soon for her to get a start, but to at least get a look at her, 
um, because she's a really, you know, intriguing young player. Um, But I think that we're probably not going to see a ton of rotation across the defense because, like I said, we just don't have a lot of depth there. Yeah, there's not a lot there. Um, Although there is, you know, we we haven't seen Gracie Pierce play yet. uh, So that would be interesting, I think. It, it just based on like who was on the bench today, like with Shalina Zadorsky dropping out of the squad. Um, I think she's going to be playing as center back reinforcement more so this season because in, in the limited time that she got last year, I think we saw her at full back and wing back a couple of times. Um, but I think she's a center back by training. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting opportunity to see some other players. I think. And then going back to to Olga, I mean, we, we got a question from uh, from David Puckridge asking about you know the impact that she's made, and but wants to know what specifically is being brought to the team that was was missing last season. What what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't know for for me, I think it's a uh, granted. I, I want to give Olga a lot of credit as well, but like to me, it's a collective. Like you're 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 seeing it from all parts, and and I I know that a few weeks ago at the fan forum you know, Robert Villaham was kind of asked about how he wants to play. And he almost said, well, look over at those guys on the men's side. We want to attack. It seems like they have more parts to be able to do that with than they did last season, even without any contribution as of yet from Beth in England. And I know it's only two matches, but like thus far, they still have the bodies and the ability to be able to go forward more. And that's, that's what I've seen. What about you? Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Cause for me, it's, it's that, not just what she brings from like her technical aspect, which is really strong. Like we see it in her passing. Um, But also the fact that she's just kind of empowering everyone else around her to play their own game better. I think, especially when you look at the other midfielders um, who have been starting drew and Evelina, you know, I think in, in the past seasons they were being asked to do too much and it, it was kind of like the whole midfield was expected to defend, but none of them were really doing it effectively. So it just kind of, it, it felt like there was no, no balance in the midfield basically. And I feel like Olga with her just like great awareness and vision, she's really just stabilized and settled that midfield so that players like Evelina and Drew, I think are getting, they're able to get forward more. Um, an attack without being worried that they're like leaving the back line vulnerable. Like we, we kept seeing. So, yeah, I think <laughs> I, I really didn't know what to expect from her when we signed her just because I hadn't seen her play. Um, but I think she's been so far, probably our most transformative signing of the season. Okay. Two games in, so really small sample size. Um, but yeah, I've just been super impressed with her. Well, and you say that, but, and I think a lot of people know this, but you know, there are fewer games in the WSL season. So two games is a larger chunk percentage wise uh, because there are fewer teams in the league than on the men's side in the premier league. Like, you know, two games is not a lot of sample size, but it is still a larger percentage of the season. So that is important to note. It's Reading in the league cup at midweek. Uh, that game is on Wednesday. It's also, I think you mentioned it's an, it's on Spurs play. Um, so if fans want to watch log on a Spurs play, um, you can check that one out, but the Brighton match Brighton, I think is one of those teams that, that, the, and that's the match next weekend, uh, back in the league 
they're one of those teams that Spurs are almost in direct competition with. We talked about this a lot last season in terms of being the best of the rest. And if that's where Spurs can get to right now in terms of their growth and their their uh, their climb up the WSL table, you know, had a lot of things go wrong last season, had to fight off relegation. But Brighton is one of those teams that you're almost in direct mid-table best of the rest type of conversation with, right? So an important early season match for for that purpose. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of the pundits were projecting that Brighton were going to get that sixth place spot that I've kind of been targeting for us as like kind of our, you know, it would be a good season if we got back into the top half of the table. I think honestly, at this point, we might be aiming a little bit higher, but we'll see. I don't want to get ahead of myself um, just because we, I mean, we talk about the men's team having a rapid improvement and I think it's the same on the women's side, but they're also coming from very different places. Like the men's team didn't have that big of a leap to make. And I feel like we really were struggling last season. So, I mean, any improvement feels positive right now, but anyway, back to Brighton. I, I do think they've had a lot of hype around some of their, their summer signings, but they haven't necessarily had the best start to the season so far. Like they beat Everton two to one, but then today they just lost to Rianne Skinner's West Ham, who a lot of people were saying could be relegation fodder this season. So I don't know. This whole weekend of WSL results was kind of wackadoo, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Seeing seeing Leicester city and Liverpool in the top two spots is very, very uh, like, wait a second. Where's, Where's Arsenal? Where's Manchester United? Where's Chelsea? Like none of those teams are sniffing the top three even right now. It is very kind of jarring. Right. So even though, you know, like you said, fewer games in the season, but I feel like it's it's way too early to have firm feelings about like any team in the league right now because um, there have just been so many, so many unexpected results. And um, but this is a team that we're wanting to compete with. So the bottom line is we're going for three points in this game as well as the, the midweek cup game. No question about it. Uh, we'll be back next weekend to talk about both of those games, uh, as well as any other news that I'm sure will certainly show its face on the men's side in an international break that I am not looking forward to, uh, hate to hate to stop the momentum there with another this is a second international break already eight games in. It's very, very strange and very, very stop start. I don't love it, but it is what it is. It's not something I have control over and therefore uh, I'm going to force myself to not bitch and moan about either because that would not be productive. Uh, I've got enough in my life sports wise, as I mentioned earlier, to bitch and moan about that. I'm not going to I'm not going to make it this. I'm just going to enjoy the vibes all around and enjoy the the top of the table on the men's side and, and the first three points for the women and uh, hope to see improvement on both ends and hope to see no injuries either because the depth, the depth is where we are questioning everything right now. But uh, thus far, all, all good signs. Uh, we will be back here on the Tottenham Devo next weekend to talk about it all with you. You can follow Caroline at CG Stefko. You can follow me at a Stefko. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot, wherever uh, you are on social media, the Twitter, the TikTok, the Instagram, all those fun spots. Uh, you can also leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps to spread the word. Uh, until next weekend, this has been the Tottenham Depot Podcast. As always, come on you Spurs. <laughs>